Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Welcome to Kingdom Casts, the podcast that discusses in-depth things that do not necessarily require in-depth discussions. Welcome to Kingdom Casts podcast. This one's for the week of July 15th, 2020. Sandra Swindle's back with us to ask why can't they retheme Splash Mountain to a more Submariner type thing. <laughs> I'm Stan Daniel. With me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. How you doing? I'm okay tonight. Oh, good. You doing okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. Nice Sandra, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for asking. You're quite welcome. Y'all watch. Y'all watch the stuff that we post on the memes and stuff, Kingdom Posts. Yeah. On Facebook page. I love it when you post a meme and people swing in there left and right and start to, that's not accurate. The, <laughs> the, the name at the top of the page reads Kingdom Comics, not National Historical Archive for memes. Uh, <laughs> Did you say accurate MF meme? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you don't get it, if you're, if you're following the Facebook page and you don't get that we're just posting stuff to try our best, to make you smile for like maybe three seconds before reality just <laughs> runs right in and continues to have butt sex with you. I, I don't know what to tell you. I can't believe you're saying all this. <laughs> well, I'm going to use the Mickey thing to beep out the part. I don't know if y'all saw it because I, I have to see everything as we're doing. And Albert, Albert, you should see like most all of it. You're an administrator on the page. Yeah. But it, but they, they swing in and they want to point things out like, uh, one time I posted Egyptian uh, hieroglyphs and the joke had something to do with pie. And the hieroglyph was photoshopped to incorporate the pie symbol in it. It's a very good photoshop. You can't really tell. And I'm talking with, uh, that, that got a lot of likes, but within the first five minutes, that's not accurate. Here's the actual uh, hieroglyph. Yeah, I, I I don't care. <laughs> We're just trying to be funny. <laughs> we talked last week about Princess Bride, and mm -hmm. I, I want to take this opportunity to explain to Cynthia, Anna, <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> Chris, and Eric. I'm just screwing with you, man. There's no way in hell I can get Justin Bieber cast in the remake <laughs> of The Princess Bride. <laughs> I humbly and sincerely apologize again, just trying to make some people laugh. There's no need to hunt me down, no need to kill me. And I also want to point out, Albert was 110% behind the Miley Cyrus as Princess Buttercup thing. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to get that out of the way real quick. Facebook is just, I guess it's because of people spending more time at home and having most of their bread and circuses taken away from them. 
Facebook is getting deadly serious. I got kicked off of a Disney Facebook fan page. One of the people in there posted a meme asking, what smell do you most miss from Disney World? What smell? They were answering like, oh, the confectionery. Oh, the cotton candy, the popcorn stands, the hot dog place. Again, I'm just trying to bring a little light and joy to people. And I posted the smell of Daisy Duck's breath as she calls for security to get me off of her. Oh! <laughs> Stan! I'm, number one, don't ask a question if you don't want an honest answer. And <laughs> number Lord two, Stan. Just, just lighten up a little. That's always my mistake. <laughs> what? I give, the wrong, I give the wrong answer. Well, you see, I flashed back to when you gave that statement about... <laughs> person that dressed up as a Vulcan and held up a sign that said roast me but it turns out they weren't really interested in being roasted <laughs> well they got it from me yes they did hey our buddy Rob Liefeld Rob Sassy Pants Liefeld put out a book this week yes yes he did I can't wait to talk about it <laughs> we'll get there I understand that our good buddy Tom King has decided to put out a Rorschach comic starting in October? I guess. You see, I don't know about this because... Have we heard anything on Bat and Cat? That's the actual title of the book. No, that's supposed to still come out. Is it still on the schedule and where? Oh, I don't know where it's on schedule. I, I just haven't heard that much about but that it. One, they, since that's like supposed to be a 12-issue thing or something, they could just decide it just to wait till they have more of it in the can before they put it out. Since he already has Adam Strange coming out and Rorschach, or go ahead and put that out. So they may just wait on that. Because there's only like a billion Batman books right now anyway. So yeah. we don't really need it. No, they, they may actually need it, depending on the sales of the other books after the quarantine and the shutdown and everything. It's looking more and more like we're about to face another shutdown. Do y'all think it's going to get to that point now? No, because they'll just ignore it and not do it. Unfortunately, I think Albert is right. Some people are just not going to do anything until they end up in the hospital. Denise and I had to make a run to Tennessee real quick this week. And uh, the difference between Tennessee and Alabama is night and day, at least lower Tennessee. Let's say out of seven people, there's maybe one wearing a mask. In Tennessee? At least in lower level Tennessee, the uh, part of Tennessee that's closest to Alabama. I forget the county. Well, see, that, yeah. well, see for us, it's just Jefferson County. Like, if I go two miles from my home in DeBlunt County, yeah, it, maybe one out of ten people is wearing a mask. Now, tomorrow, that's different because tomorrow at five o'clock, the whole state's supposed to go wear a mask. When it was just us, I would go get gas or go through Sonic a couple miles from my home, and I would, I'd be like, that'd be it. Well, Me and maybe one other person that was on duty, somebody, somebody working for a company with a company truck, that'd be it. Obviously for your state, which I think is a good thing. I think it's a wake-up call to some of these other states because if Alabama is doing a, a mandatory mask order, maybe we ought to do a mandatory mask order. <laughs> I mean, nothing, I mean you know, nothing against Have Alabama. Have you not seen that Florida governor? He doesn't know anything. Look at the Oklahoma governor. The guy has COVID and he still won't do a mandatory mask order. What are you trying to say about Alabama, Sandra? <laughs> thank God it's not Mississippi, right? Or thank God for Mississippi, right? I don't know. You're going to have to cut all of this, okay? <laughs> no, 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 it's going right ahead. Most of our uh, listeners are coming out of Georgia for some reason. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I joked about his holiness, Pope Saban, a little too much. It's no longer thank God for Mississippi. Mississippi has moved ahead of Alabama in most everything. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there was a thing that was uh, the worst places to live. And they were, they got down. I started watching it around number six and it started counting down. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. And we got to number two and I was thinking, well, if it's not Alabama, we must have missed Alabama. And that's a good thing. And they said Mississippi, and I thought, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then number one, sure enough, was was Alabama. At least we are doing the mass thing, and part of it is because hospitals here. If anybody's having to deal with the hospital uh, locally here in Birmingham, they understand the seriousness of this because the hospitals are not joking around about this. They're they're coming up on capacity if they're not already there. I think that the only way some of these states, <coughs> Georgia, <coughs> are going to do anything is when I think the fact that Walmart has nationwide said, we're not letting anybody in without a mask. So I think it's actually going to be the retailers that are going to start pushing the states. Yeah, to, they've uh, done it. I think Kroger's announced it. Yeah. I would imagine if Walmart's announced it, all the other retailers are probably going to be right behind them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When I saw last night that Walmart had said that they were going to make people wear masks to come in and shop, I said, well, that's it. It won't be long before everybody, all the other stores do it. And once the stores start doing it, then maybe the governors will get off their butts and start doing it. I don't like it when the corporations have to dictate societal function. Well, I don't either, but... I would prefer the government interfere as little as possible. However, in this situation, this is a situation where the government does need to step up and take the lead. And the lack of leadership dictates that Walmart tells us what to do. Well, the Walmart thing also, you can look at it from just the business side of it. Yeah. It's way easier than to just go ahead and just say, hey, just do it company-wide. Because how many Walmarts and Sam Clubs and Walmart and neighborhood grocery stores are out there? Every town does something different from the county, from the state. So rather than have all your stores have to deal with different things and then your regional guys have to deal with all that, you just say company-wide, here's our rule, and that's that. And that solves so many problems with them as far as on the management side of how to take care of all this. And I think that's more government role than it is corporations. I think it's good that the corporations are stepping up like that. If corporations, if the billionaires see, oh, we can dictate these terms under these circumstances, which are serious circumstances, then what else can we mandate? Well, they already mandate and dictate everything. And I'm not a big fan of that. That's what I'm saying. We're just handing them over more power. But enough about real life problems. We're here to talk about problems with comic books. <laughs> Max Cribb has written in, and believe it or not, Max didn't say a word about The Princess Bride to me. <laughs> So thank, thank you, Max. I appreciate that. Max Cribb also wrote in last week and he said, hello, I hope all is well during these trying times. I got around to listening to the last two podcasts and thoroughly enjoyed both as always. While y'all were discussing Michael Keaton coming back for Flashpoint, the thought got in my head of the Marvel's limited series, Alex Ross and Busiak's Marvel's limited series. That was released back in 93-94. Notice how Namor was drawn to look just like Michael Keaton. Did you guys think that too back then? I'm not sure he had the swimmer's build to pull off being cast as Submariner if a movie was going to be in the works at that time, but the likeness in Marvel seemed intentional. 
Willis's eyebrows. It was his eyebrows. I went back and I looked at Marvel's, looked in the hardcover, and yeah, there's more than a passing resemblance there. Just like there's more than a passing resemblance to Reed and the professor from Gilligan's Island. Yeah, I mean, I assume that's on purpose because Alex Ross is, when you look at a lot of his process stuff, it's yeah. tons of models and references. And he puts in a lot of work before he ever puts the first brushstroke down. So. Yeah, you look at so. you look at Batman in Kingdom Come. That's Gregory yeah. Peck. Yeah, I mean, you can. Did you ever catch that, Sandra? I mean, you're big on Submariner. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be the understatement. I've heard of the character. Yes, <laughs> you're you're familiar with this guy, right? <laughs> There's a, one version of Marvels that well. There's many versions of Marvels that has some extras. If you look at the extras of Marvels, and Alex Ross has said this, is that he kind of crossed Buster Crab and Freddie Mercury for Namer. But it seems like he did some of the photos for Namer. When Ross first really got started, he had three male models and two female models. Right. We had the posters that uh, of the Justice League, the individual ju- Justice League member posters hanging up at Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And if you stood there and you looked at it long enough, if you looked at Wonder Woman long enough, and then you looked at Black Canary long enough, you realized that's the same person. As is the same person for Superman, is the same person for Shazam, and Batman and Green Lantern are the same model. And those posters... Now, l- later he did, with the Marvels, he was a great deal less shy about homaging famous faces by the time Kingdom Come and, uh, and Marvels rolled around. Probably, but I don't think, I still don't think that he was using Keaton as an inspiration. I think there's like one image where it looks a lot like Keaton probably because of the eyebrows. But yeah, I think if he did anything, he just looked, he probably just did still frames of movies just to get a right angle as far as the way the eyebrows are supposed to sort of have the pointedness to them. And that's, that's probably it. I don't think anything else in the face is Keaton. It's just, he probably just did the eyebrows as a reference. I don't know if I thought it at the time. Once Max pointed it out, I can definitely see it. But I don't know if I thought that, I mean, you definitely recognized a little bit of Mary Tyler Moore or Natalie Wood in Sue Storm. And you automatically recognize Gilligan's Island's professor and Reed, which I think may be a little bit of an insult to the professor to be used as the likeness of Reed Richards, because I don't think Reed Richards deserves his degrees. <laughs> I don't think Reed Richards deserves his degrees. He's the smartest man on the planet. No, he's not. <laughs> Yes, he is. It's That's proven, Victor Von Doom. No, it's a proven fact. It's not a proven fact. Nowhere have they ever proven that. Yeah, they did. It's called Secret so, War. If he's so smart, <laughs> how's, he, <laughs> how's he not figure out the little merman is doing his walk? Well, I don't, I mean, Dale Dribble never figured it out with Nancy and Redcorn. Oh, Lord. Boy, that was, that episode that reconciled that, that was, that was uncomfortable. But it was brilliant on uh, King of the Hill. Uh, okay, we got another letter here. And this, uh, this email is not an email. It's a text. And it's a text from one of our regular contributors who sends me a lot of the articles we talk about each week. Okay, Alex Fitzpatrick has texted me. Know who they should cast as Cyclops? When Marvel Cinematic starts casting X-Men, 
Will Smith because they both know how to get cut. That was Alex Fitzpatrick. So I got this. I, I was thinking about this. So Will Smith. Sandra, are you familiar with Will Smith's situation? No. Tell her. <laughs> Listen, I don't. I don't know why I know this. I don't care to know this. It's not my business. I had to look it up, and I just and like it was just on Twitter, and I couldn't escape it. And people posted all over social media. I couldn't escape it. By so looking at it point, up, I mean, ask my wife. Go so ahead. At, one, at one point, they apparently have an open marriage, or they were separated for a while. Jada was hooking up with some younger guy. The younger guy sort of brought it up, which he probably shouldn't have done. And for some reason, Jada Pinkett Smith, which which is obviously just a huge narcissist. Did some type of show special with Will Smith, and and you could tell the whole time Will Smith did not want to do that. He didn't want any of that public. He didn't want any of it out. He just sort of sit there and took it. Wow. No. So my theory is here's what's going to happen. Will Smith is going to open his wife and her boyfriend. Her boyfriend. Holy crap! Now you see, now I have to get that rid of that. That's... No, you don't. No, you don't. The young rapper that. Jada had the affair with apparently was on some somewhat popular YouTuber site being interviewed when he he talked about that. And Jada has her own YouTube show called the Red Chair, the Red Table, the Red Table, because there's a red table there, and she has different guests on to talk, and she had Will on to discuss that. And to say that it was awkward, because I ended up watching it, to say that it it was awkward is it. Like I said, it's an understatement along the lines of saying you're somewhat familiar with Submariner. I don't often feel bad for horribly rich people and their stupid problems, <laughs> but I, I sort of felt bad for him, you know? I did, too. But, I did, I'm too. Like, Gee, he just sort of had to sit there, and he was like, ugh. He, he does a good job, and he represents himself well, but the, the look in his eyes is... And it may it may not be anything. I don't even know... I'd like to thank Alex Fitzpatrick for, you know, putting us off on this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> really bringing that content, aren't you? I was about to say, I'm not sure what this has to do with comics. <laughs> but yeah, I, I felt bad for Will too, and, and that was just mean. I don't feel bad for Cyclops. Other situation, I've got a little quote here from Grant Morrison that came across one of the sites. I don't think it was Twitter, but uh, somebody hollered at uh, Grant Morrison. Hello, Grant. First of all, thank you for your work, your passion. My question is simple. What do you think of the evolution of comics medium in the last years? Is this a new era of comics? The prismatic age, maybe? Grant replied with, I think comics are in a bit of a rut right now, to be honest. There's always good work and standout creators, but look at the difference in storytelling styles between 1965 and 1985. Then look at the progress in comic book storytelling over the last 20 years. Has anything changed since The Ultimates? Has anything changed the since The Ultimates? Yeah, that's what Grant said. In other words, Grant's implying that when Mark Miller's Ultimates hit, the first volume, that was the last major shift in uh, storytelling. Has anything evolved or changed since then? Not really, because the people that were around back then, the top writers, Miller, Bendis, and him, yeah, they're still it. Here's the argument to that, because I was thinking this through. 
<laughs> and what a surprise to all you listeners. We're finally talking about something comic book related. <laughs> what a treat for y'all. <laughs> I think Grant has a point. And yeah, Grant and Miller and to a degree Bendis now, but not as much as he once was, are still the big names in comics. But the argument that would immediately be made and the name that would be brought up inside of the first five names mentioned trying to say, but what about, would be Tom King. There's something that kind of dovetails with what Grant Morrison asked, and it goes back to the Rorschach comic that Tom King is supposed to be doing in October. Comic book icon Alan Moore, who does not want to be a comic book icon, is on the attack about comics again. But he actually said something in a recent interview concerning Tom King, without saying his name, that really, really, really kind of hit. And I'm going to read Alan Moore's quote now. At the end of the day, if they haven't got any properties that are valuable enough, but they have got these top flight industry creators, in quotes, that are ready to produce these prequels and sequels to Watchmen, well, this is probably a radical idea, but could they not get one of the top flight industry creators to come up with an idea of their own? Why are DC Comics trying to exploit a comic book that I wrote 25 years ago if they have got anything? Surely they ought to have had an equivalent idea since. I could ask about why Marvel comics are churning out or planning to bring out my ancient Marvel Man stories, which are even older if they had a viable idea of their own in the quarter century since I wrote these works. I mean, surely that would be a much easier solution than all of this clandestine stuff. Just simply get some of your top flight talent to put out a book that the wider public outside of the comics field find as interesting or as appealing as the stuff that I wrote 25 years ago. It shouldn't be too big of an ask, should it? I wouldn't have thought so. And it would solve an awful lot of problems. They must have one creator, surely in the entire American industry, that can do equivalent work to something I did 25 years ago. It would be insulting to think that there weren't. We all disagreed with Alan Moore on his current stance on comics, but he kind of cuts quick to the bone here, doesn't he? I mean, not really. He's still a hypocrite. Why would a top-flight creator... Well, I mean, I'm... Here's here's the reason they do it. I'm going to tell you why they do it. Because maybe that creator really likes Rorschach, or really likes Batman, or Superman, or Spider-Man, or Captain America, and the company that owns those characters are like, hey, you want to write or draw this character, and they're like, yeah, I want to do it. I love that character, and that's why they're on the book, because they want to do it. I thought what he was saying was, why aren't they doing something as great as Watchmen with the big two? And my question is, why would you do anything as great as Watchmen for the big two and get paid peanuts for it and not own it when you could do something as great and own it all? But Alan Moore has already underwritten that by saying one of their top talents, meaning that the top talent will be paid far more than peanuts for whatever they do. In other words, whatever they pay them is not going to be how much they make if they own it. You've considered where Alan Moore came from with The Watchmen. The Watchmen were originally going to be a story about the Charlton Comics characters. Right. The, The Blue Beetle question and Captain Adams on and so forth. Has production really got rolling and has Alan Moore was writing, they said, no, no, we've decided we're going to incorporate these characters, Captain Adam, Blue Beetle, and the question into the same 
universe is Superman. So we can't have you doing sex scenes with these characters and having them cuss and everything. And so he just, all right, fine. Blue Beetle is now Night Owl. He barely even changed the bug. Blue Beetle's vehicle to Archie. There's very little design difference in it. He was being paid well for it. Somebody that's on their payroll right now, and they do get bonuses when they meet certain sales goals. And you, you know, this is not talked about, but somebody could come along and do the same thing or something similar for, say, the invaders. Something really substantial. They could take a group of characters that's not as popular or currently being used, like Grant did Animal Man and do something really substantial that gets talked about for years. And they're just not turning that out. Tom King, you cannot convince me, Albert, that you think that Tom King gives a damn about Batman beyond what Batman can do for his own reputation. No, I think it's fairly obvious in his writing and even interviews that he just wants his name stamped somewhere on Batman for everyone to remember always on the same level as, let's say, Frank Miller, which ain't ever going to happen. Yeah. Also, the goal to your argument about creating these books for other things, you know what's like the best book out right now? The best book out right now is probably Immortal Hulk. I was about to say, that's... That book, the way that book is, it, even if you just made up new characters to do that, it does not work. That book works with Hulk, and that's it. Yeah. If you did it with, with characters you made up out of thin air, it would just be a poor man's Hulk and no one would buy into it or like it as much, even if the writing quality was the same. That book, the way it is structured and made, is made specifically for the character of Bruce Banner and all his Hulks. I agree. You can say the same thing for Kate's Thor right now, can't you? Because that's that's an intricate setup. That if you didn't understand the history of Galactus and the history of Thor, you don't have time to set this up with a new image imprint. Like Dark Knight Returns, does that work with any character that's not a Batman? No. No, and God knows they've tried. Remember everything, whenever something gets branded over and over again, and I go back to this a lot, but movies after Star Wars kept being pitched as the next Star Wars. Well, in comic books, the comic books are pitched as the next Dark Phoenix saga, the next Watchmen, the next Dark Knight, or Spider-Man's Dark Knight. Remember, they called that book where Spider-Man was an old man, Spider-Man's version of the Dark Knight. It was an Rain. okay book. Yeah, Rain was that a... was a pretty good. I like yeah. that book. Rain was a good book, but it was not Spider-Man's Dark Knight. The closest you come currently to Spider-Man having a Dark Knight is Craven's Last Hunt. But we ain't ever going to get no Craven's Last Hunt again. No. No, there's no way they'd let anybody do that again. Even, even back then, once that story was done, that was that was it. Yeah, it, it could have only happened under Shooter at that time. First of all, I think he's wrong about the last, what was the exact word he used? Was, was the Ultimates the last original thing? Yeah, or last? Here's what yeah. Morrison said. Here's what Morrison's missing. He's looking for individual comics post that, but the biggest thing that happened to the industry post Ultimate, and I'm not going to count any of the movies, the biggest thing that happened with comic books from the early 2000s forward till now, and it's something that's going to go on continually until it's just there ain't no more floppies, was the downfall of Vertigo and the rise of Image as far as having more creator-owned stuff. I don't think he's that even talking far about... far more important. That's far more important than someone just saying, hey, what came after Ultimus? It's where creators and artists and writers can put their stuff and have a publisher that backs them, a big publisher, because Vertigo screwed it all up. Because they just well, sat I, there, I they just sat was... there riding Watchmen and Sandman trade sales forever 
and didn't give a crap about anything that that wasn't why the last man or fables. Yeah, I was gonna say I think image that all that happened before the Ultimates even. It's big success, maybe not, but no, it was but, all there. But Walking Dead number one happened after that. Well, the okay, so there's there's that just proves that Morrison's wrong. That the last what did he say? Innovation? The last change, whatever. Morrison maybe maybe really just talking about the big two in that in that even then he's wrong because I think Is for he? me the ultimates What's unique about the Ultimates is it was actually I think Warren Ellis or that originated it. This ideal of cinematic storytelling. What that's from? That's really not Mark Miller. That is Hitch. That is well, if you go back the the pre Ultimates when Hitch was on Authority and all that. That's what Warren I'm Ellis, saying. Authority. That's where it goes. It's really Warren Ellis. Yeah. It's really it's really Hitch. Hitch is the one that did all that. I was thinking that if I brought this up, we were going to hit authority, Hitch's authority in, in comparison to the Ultimates. I went back and I reread the first 10 issues of Authority in the last week. And I went back and went uh, went over Ultimates again. And I got to tell you, and there's a time difference, uh, not much of one, but there is a time difference between Authority and when Ultimates came out. Ultimates is by far and away the better book. The authority, if you go back and you read authority now, authority does not hold up as well as that first volume of Ultimates Well, they're, they're both, both, I mean, both those comics, are, I mean, Miller's comics after about a couple of years, especially the stuff back then, become horribly, horribly dated. Well, authority is set in a certain time period because of Jenny Sparks, the nature of the character of Jenny Sparks. But you go back and you also look at his Wanted and Superior and Nemesis. Those hold up. They're still in the same vein of the trying to turn the superhero concept upside down, trying to flip it around and play with it. But I think it worked best in Ultimates because it was dealing with actual iconic characters. I keep trying to keep myself from saying ultimately, but ultimately... The Ultimates went into the pot real fast without Miller's guidance on it, especially the Jeff Loeb stuff where Jeff just wanted to watch everybody burn. But I see what Miller's getting at. They keep hitting at the cornerstones of modern comics without innovating. It's go back to the well on Watchmen. Once Didio, okay, and greenlighted the Watchmen sequel, but it was a prequel then okay now we've now we've just torn it apart and i was okay with doomsday clock i thought doomsday clock was really really if we were going to follow it up with any watchmen up with anything then doomsday clock was the way to go but the problem there is we had snyder come in and wipe his butt with it in one panel just completely out of hand dismissing it not to mention what snyder does this week if we keep hitting at these cornerstones, I think we're really devaluing, especially in regards to the big two and the iconic superheroes. I really do think there's a devaluation going on in between all of them. I don't think anybody's adding to the mythos of these well, characters. That's, that's been a general complaint all along is that they say Marvel's the house of ideals. Well, when Stan Lee was doing it, there were innovations, there were new ideals, there were new stories, and now... 50 years later, people are just rehashing the stories of the past, and they're not moving it along. I think that's, I mean, people, 
complain, people complain all the time but about everything, but you have people complain like, well, why aren't these stories like the stories I read when I was a kid? And then you have people complaining, well, why aren't these stories new? And so... I think we got a real problem. I think you just hit the nail on the head, Sandra, because I've been thinking about this for a few weeks now, and I believe what the problem is and why we go back to the well-known Watchmen, or why we have 40 different Batman, Joker, and Harley titles coming out, is because deep down inside the people actually making the decisions at the big two at Marvel and DC know that their core audience is over the age of 30, holds certain stories and teams and characters in high regard as pinnacle moments in comic book history, and that that's the easy money grab there rather than trying to invite new readers in. The innovation that we've seen, or what they would call innovation, has been attempting to cater to less than 2% of society that are screaming the loudest on social media. Not an actual attempt to say, and I keep referencing her because my niece is 15, 16 years old and is a gauge and is a primary target for the market that the market would love to have in. But they're not actually turning anything out that keeps her attention or that engages her. There's nothing wrong with using Superman and Batman, but the Immortal Hulk is adding to the mythology and the mythos of the Incredible Hulk. The Dark Knight added, and it did more than added, amplified, modified, and modernized Batman as we know him. Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman is probably the best Superman story ever written. And on the flip side of that, Mark Miller's Red Sun is right up there as one of the best Superman stories ever written, even though it completely flips the concept around or takes a different turn on the concept, I should say. I think the problem is who we view as the top writers in the industry is anybody that has a good four or five issues now on Batman and then starts selling the hype to their little cult following on social media and putting out stuff that it does not benefit the character in any way. The last run on Batman by Tom King, that's not going to be held anywhere near in regard as the Dark Knight is. The problem is this. Mortal Hulk builds on the past of Hulk. Like we said, you can't do that book with any character but Hulk because it builds on all the stuff that came before him. Most of these writers today... These top writers, they come on a book and they don't care about anything that's happened before them. They just do their own thing. And when they leave, the next writer does the same exact thing. So nothing. Nobody's when a character has a history and a legacy, it's hard to do that one story that'll just stick with them forever. If you just throw all that out the window because, hey, you want to have Batman and Catwoman together. I don't agree with Morrison on that. His own new X-Men, which has been pretty seminal, came after Ultimates if I remember correctly, or the bulk of it did. I mean, there's a ton of books that came out after the Ultimates. and Yeah, but even, even Morrison admits his, his X-Men run when he was just telling all the Claremont stories everybody else was telling. Yeah, and then he got really mad, lost interest in the end, and it crashed. No, he, he, if you read that through at all, it's all no, there. No, he still hits fine. the points, but he's not putting... He, he knows... Well, he, he knows knew he was out the door. Like he knew he, like, once he finished up his X-Men run, that was the end of it. That Yeah, he knew that. He knows what he did and didn't do on X-Men. He didn't but, put the full power behind it. But, he wasn't, you know, this was a passing fancy to him. Once the conflict set in, 
all the fancy was gone. And so I've got to hit these points. I'm going to hit these points and I'm out the door. Morrison is like Ewing in that. I mean, I don't think he was just retelling Claremont stories. I think like Ewing, he was building off of those stories, just like Ewing's building off of the Hulk's history. The creators now are building off of his stuff. I mean, he's a very inspirational as far as characters and with the X-Men I'm talking about. Still and, use so much from his X-Men run. People, right. just don't, people don't even really realize it because it's yeah. just been there for the last 20 years. Right. The giant size X-Men with Emma and Storm. There are good things out there. I think Hickman's current take on the X-Men, which does not dismiss their past history, but actually in most regards adds to the X-Men lore, as well as Ewing's Immortal Hulk and Kate's on Thor, I think those are all positive, forward-thinking steps. Let me tell you what's very detrimental and going on and that could spread across the entire board here, and that's the cancer to comics that is things like the bastardizations of these cornerstone characters, which I expect Tom King's Rorschach to be, which we all know, here's the bad news, which we all know the Batman who laughs to be. That is as detrimental to the icon of Batman as Dark Knight is a positive to it. The problem here is that the Batman who laughs sells. That's why they keep shoving him down our throat. Now, let's move on from here into the comic book reviews, and our first up will be... Dark Knight's Death Metal Number 2 by writer Scott Snyder and artist Greg Capullo. Sandra? Yes? You don't read this, but... <laughs> okay. Did you read any spoilers or anything? No. So here's what happens. Somewhere that they never explain, there's a billion different Batmans in this comic that they never explain where they come from. At the end of issue one, Wonder Woman, she thought she killed the Batman who laughs. Well, turn out they had a backup plan. There was a version of Bruce Wayne that was Dr. Manhattan that they somehow killed. So they stuck the Batman who laughs brain in Dr. Batmanhattan or whatever, stuck him in him. The Batman who laughs now has the power of Dr. Manhattan. Does he walk around naked? The way they did it, at the end of it, he's just a solid sort of like a shape, a black shape. He sort of turned himself in, in his normal form, but he was just sort of like a solid dark blue color or like black with blue highlights. Now the Batman who laughs, who is powered up to beyond Dr. Manhattan levels. Yeah. Let me remind the audience, the Batman Who Laughs is a cross between the Joker and Batman. He's just Judge Death from Judge Dredd. That's all he is. Well, it, yeah, that which is the same thing. That's all he's, Metal was. was nothing. Just, was just Snyder writing that old Judge Death stuff. He's nothing more. There's no more thought that went into him than that. He's a cancer because he's chipping away at the cornerstone that is Batman. If you actually see the standard cover for this book, the one with the Batman fresh from a monster truck rally, and you think this is definitely worth $6, then may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> We're treated to such wonderful dialogue as Wally saying to Diana in regards to something, who's guarding it now? And then Diana says, this is Wonder Woman, I don't know, D-U-N-N-O. I'm just glad it's here. 
Well, that's a great move, Diana, because if we have to answer one stupid-ass question about this comic, we will have to answer all the stupid-ass questions regarding this comic. And honestly, we just do not have the time, as the coronavirus will wipe out humanity before we get to the halfway point of the stupid-ass questions concerning this comic. Either coronavirus or the sun will go supernova. Sun goes supernova in what? Four billion years? If we're lucky. Yeah, four billion years. No, we won't even be at the halfway point of stupid questions about death metal by that time. And then they've got something called crisis energy floating around. Would you care to explain to everybody what crisis energy is, Albert? Well, I don't remember how they explained it. Exactly. They did. They're just taking the title of the previous biggest successful DC crossover comics because they all say crisis in it. And now there's crisis energy that what, uh, Perpetua, this this hackneyed character that is just the be all end all bad guy able to rip universes and realities apart. This book actually convinces me that it would be best for comics if comics were no more. And, you know, maybe AT&T is actually correct in trying to destroy DC Comics. Snyder certainly is making their argument for them. Don't waste money on this. Where did the JSA come from? No, does it matter? I mean, I guess I guess you could say they came from Doomsday Clock, but he why didn't is everybody, Is it everybody's corpses in those boxes that Batman is putting the little rubber bat stamp on? Oh, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about Batum the Batman Adam crossover. Well that car talks. That car was a sentient car. Yeah. Yeah. Are are you getting all this, Sandra? <laughs> I'm just Take being, it all in, Sandra. I feel validated that I don't read many DC comics. <laughs> they haven't even brought Superman into this yet. Oh no, 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 my friend. Are you ready? It's already been confirmed that they're going to pull Superboy Prime, the Anti Monitor, and Dark Seed, but they're all uh, submissive to uh, uh, perpetuity, perpetua, whatever her name is, perpetuity, uh, perpetua. Do not buy this comic. I gave the writing a zero. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a negative four. The score on Dark Knight's Death Metal for me is zero. I'm gonna give it actual numbers. I gave the art four too. Like, you know, Capullo. Yeah, he, he does. He does a great job. Like it's really good art. I can't. Yeah. I can't say it's not good art because it is. I, I can't either. But yeah, but the writing of dynamic, I just gave ones too. I'm dead serious. Do not spend your money on this book. And this is a good time to jump off it. And if you are one of the ones that are keeping the Batman Who Laughs Project's numbers up there, you're hurting comic books. But you see, that's the problem. I can't get anybody to admit that they're interested in the Batman Who Laughs. Yet these numbers keep saying that, oh, look, he's selling. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll let you know when the Bat Mariner shows up. Yeah, let me know when the Batman... I'm sure there'll be a, you, an Aquaman... Yes, there is. An yes, Aquaman there is. Batman. I just don't know what his name is. This is the biggest hot steaming mess in comic books that I've seen in a while. And to be... Because they're touting it. They're touting it that this is the book that's supposed to resolve everything which was supposed to have been, should have been, Doomsday Clock. Everything should have been reset, fixed, corrected with Doomsday Clock. I mean, John's gave him a softball. John said, all you have to do is run with it. This is somebody's ego that has completely run away with them. It's overridden the characters, and Chris Claremont had a hell of an ego. Still probably has a hell of an ego. But he never earned, let that supersede. Earned, I guess. Uh, well, he never let his ego supersede the characters that he was writing. No. And I'm going to go ahead and throw Burn in there, too. 
Also, when you read interviews of Claremont, or it could just be something brought on by age. When you look, watch video interviews of, of these older comic book writers, yeah. when they com- talk about themselves and the characters, they put the characters above themselves. Yeah. And Snyder doesn't do that. Tom King doesn't do that. Claremont and them, their work is not about their ego. Yeah. It's about... It's the characters about, are real to Claremont. Yeah, it's it's them doing the best that they can for those characters and not for their own self-fulfillment. This goes back to the argument about how can you possibly write Nightcrawler? He's a demon. He's a priest. He has a girlfriend. He's sometimes a pirate. Well, you know what? For 30 years, Claremont wrote all those traits into him, and they never contradicted each other. He's written some of the most complicated characters out there, and not just Claremont. Stan Lee, for the love of God, has two. Lynn Wynn, George Perez. I know George Perez is primarily an artist. He worked with Marv Wolfman. All those characters, they came first. And if you don't believe me, especially on things like Dark Phoenix, God Loves, Man Kills, and Crisis on Infinite Earths, There's actual compendiums, and you should be able to find copies of them online for nothing. I would imagine they'd be free to read of the exchanges going between the creators on the characters. And compare that to some of the interviews of people like King and Snyder today. And you'll see where we're running into a problem here with creativity in comic books. Okay, now that we've trashed Tom King, let's talk about (laughs) Strange Adventures number three, written by Tom King and uh, artist Mitch Gerard's on it. I'll give Tom King credit. So far, we're three issues into this book, and I still really like the book. I'm with you. I'm completely and totally with you. Clearly, Alana, Adam Strange's wife, is hiding or withholding something. I think it's very well done mystery book so far. It gives me the impression that Tom King works best on outlying characters rather than the big guns. There's a big difference and a a much better improvement in quality of his work here than his work on his waifu Catwoman fanfic that he wrote in the Batman title. Yeah, and also like that and the scale of the book. This is a smaller character book. It's It's not a big bombastic superhero book where Gotham gets taken over by Thomas Wayne or, you know, here's Adam Strange. He put out a book, something's up, the Justice League... By way of Batman, since Mr. Terrific would be like, hey, you need to investigate this. Even the stuff where it goes back to them on, on Ran or whatever that alien planet was, that still has that little bit of pulpy sci-fi to it. Yeah. While still being more of a, a character piece than anything. Let's face it, Adam Strange is John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Yeah, that's all he is. He is John Carter with a jetpack. And he's set in a world with Superman, Batman... Hawkman, Green Lantern. So Tom King's found a niche with this character. Three issues in, like we both said, we're both hooked on it. I gave this book fours across the board. I really am enjoying it. Tom King is doing good work here, and I think Tom's a good writer. He's just a good writer that writes really bad stories when it seems that his ego takes over. Strange is not that big of a threat, but he could really sink his teeth into one of these outlying characters that don't get that much attention. And I think that if he looked further into it, kind of dug around in the DC pantheon, he could maybe find a character that he could utilize or a set of characters that he could utilize without harming Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, or the big guns that he could actually kind of forge his own path with to tell something, I don't want to say the equivalent of Watchmen, but definitely 
something that rings like Animal Man did or Justice League International did in a, in a different way from Animal Man and Watchmen. Yeah, as much as we crap on Tom King, uh, this is, so far, a fantastic book. I gave this issue by itself straight fives. Okay. The art is absolutely fantastic. The art really is. Especially that scene toward the end where Batman's visiting uh, Alana. Alana, Alana, and you've got that blue coloring over everything. It's just stunning artwork. Just beautiful, beautiful artwork. Some of the best work, comic book art I've seen in a while is simply really, I mean, the whole book's fantastic. But those last pages with Alana and Batman, some of the best pages I've seen in any comic book from any company in probably the last few years. I agree. Definitely Strange Adventures is worth your money. I'm just going to say it. Jimmy Olsen number 12 is done. In a few weeks, there'll either be a hardcover or a trade paperback out. You need to buy this book because this book is now confirmed continuity this book is the only book that's in continuity this book is the continuity this is the only one that counts that's exactly right matt fraction and mr libra have outdone themselves this extraordinary comic book it finished this week if you haven't been on board jimmy olson you definitely his trade is definitely going to be worth it and this is the first in comic book reference i've seen to the covid situation oh no i didn't yeah yeah what did it what, yeah, reference the quarantine. That's right, it did, yeah. didn't it? Right at the camera sort of situation, break the fourth wall. And then they did cute little things like they put the Arrested Development stair truck in there. Bluth Wayne? Yeah, Bluth and Wayne. Yeah. Makes more sense than anything DC has published since before the New 52. It's a mustering. Cannot recommend this book enough. And it is continuity. There are events that occur inside this book that Bendis has already referenced in both Action and Superman. So Matt Fraction is laying down the law here on how metropolis works but yeah definitely pick it up so we're both in agreement on that Absolutely. what did you give the overall series i give the overall series a five yeah i guess i give it straight fives everything was great art went with it perfectly so sandra you gonna pick up the trade on that oh definitely definitely i mean i've heard a lot of good things about the jimmy olsen and matt fractions take on it i'm gonna slide in here real quick Given what we were talking about earlier with the new stuff coming out and all, Albert and I try to read what we can. I was able to read the Digital Online Virus Comics, which is in association with Heavy Metal. I read Nomobots, Supernaut, and Mortis. Mortis is the most promising of the three, but really you can pass on these and nothing more needs to be said about it. Sandra, you you ready for some Liefeld talk? I was gearing up for my fangirl screaming, but yeah, go ahead with Liefeld. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. We'll get to that later. Okay, okay. Rob Liefeld, with the help of Chad Bowers, have put out Snake Eyes Dead Game, number one from IDW Comics. G.I. Joe, of course. Well, Albert, you go ahead. God, what's the plot? It opens up with Thor. Is that who that is? Thor? Yep, it was Thor. some ninja, ancient god, warrior thing. And then it goes back to now. Snake Eyes is on this mountainside or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, this sounds really promising. <laughs> and then, like, he runs into this, these priest guys that have resurrected the ninja god thing. And the ninja god thing speaks in, like, a modern American dialect, which I wasn't too much of a fan of. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> the art, the, we're not going to say the art. The pencils of Rob Liefeld, I think the inker tried to do some heavy lifting on here. 
But once you got to that page with Scarlet holding that gun, that was that. There wasn't no salvage in that. Out of everybody, we've done. I count them off. I think we're like at sixty-five episodes of the podcast. No, we're well over sixty-five. We've been trying to do one a week, and a couple of times we turned out two a week, and then we missed a few weeks. But we're up there. But in the lifespan of this podcast, I believe we've hit poor Rob Liefeld the hardest. <laughs> do you think that's fair to say, Albert? <laughs> Well, I think it's fair to say he's earned it. <laughs> Sandra, do you think that's fair to say? <laughs> Close between Rob Liefeld and Tom King. I think he, I think Albert is on to something that, unlike Tom King, Rob Liefeld is doing his stop. best. Yes, he's doing his best to be the subject of conversation. Let's put it that way. I think that's a fair assessment. So when I sat down to read Snake Eyes' Dead Game, I made the effort. (laughs) I got myself prepared and I was like, what is the base level you're willing to accept in this book? (laughs) it It goes way below that. What is the base level? I went out of my way to be more gentle with it, whereas on whatever that Snyder bat, metal book is i was like we are coming to your house and protesting snyder so i went out of my way on this book and yeah there are life-filled moments in the art but there's not as many as you would expect albert's right about scarlet and i think some of that may be the anchor cleaning cleaning some stuff up you could be right you could be right, but I was looking for the Liefeld moments, and there's just not as many as I really honestly expected. At the end, look for Roadblock to strike that famous Captain America pose. That gun he's holding is awful. If I'm being fair here, the story should appeal to Snake Eyes and Joe fans. There's no agenda in it. There's no preaching. It's just Snake Eyes fighting an ancient evil ninja m- mummy from Asgard who somehow speaks English, modern English. You know, it's the same thing most of us do on Arbor Day. I don't want to be unnecessarily mean or unfair to Rob Liefeld, and that's a danger we're in because of Rob Liefeld himself. Listen, it's okay to be unfair to Rob Liefeld because he's out there. Look, he, I'm can't gonna... be re- he cannot be reasoned with. He cannot be bargained with. He doesn't feel pity, remorse, or fear, and will never stop ever <laughs> until we're all dead. Well, Snake Eyes, Snake Eyes Wolf did look like an angry, angry raccoon having roid rage. Did he not even Google a picture of what a wolf looks like? Did you not catch that, Albert? That wolf? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to draw it. He's like, that how was you draw one... hair. I don't know how to draw hair. I don't know how to draw fur. How to draw guns? No, no. Feet? No, no. Waist, legs, arms, head, mouth, nose, any <laughs> anything made out of molecules and atoms. How you draw it? I don't know. Just put shit on the page. That was the the wolf was the most egregious thing to me. Roadblock strikes that cap pose. There are other things you can find at wrong with this book, but it's better than the G.I. Joe relaunch they did recently. If I was watching this as an 80s Joe cartoon, would I accept it? And yeah, yeah, this, well, yeah. yeah. And, and the plot, it says Rob Liefeld's plot, but someone else is doing the, the dialogue. Chad Bowers, yeah. yeah. I would accept this. I gave it threes across the board, considering that it, you got to understand, it's good enough to have been one of the 80s G.I. Joe cartoons for the first issue, so far as the plot's concerned. Yeah, you'd be nervous if the wolf showed up looking like he draws the wolf, but that's the extent of it. So, three across the board, but that's mostly for G.I. Joe fans and people who like Snake Eyes. But if you want the G.I. Joe book, the G.I. Joe book is G.I. Joe Real American Hero, written by Larry Hama.
Spider-Woman number two came out. Both you and I liked Spider-Woman number one. Writer Carla Pacheco and artist per Perez. How many months ago was Spider-Woman number one? It was the last thing to come out right before everything went on hiatus. I kept thinking, like, when I was reading two, I was like, I know I read one, and, and, and I think I liked it, but God, I couldn't remember anything from it. You and I both liked it. It was her on the boat. She was accepting That's what I was thinking. I thinking there was a boat involved with it. Yeah, but she got off the, she was back on shore because she was, something was physically wrong with her. And we were both commenting on, God, I hope whatever, it, I hope they keep her attitude in it. And in issue number two, not only did they keep her attitude, but they explained it. I love it so far. So I still think it's well worth your money. Her powers are being amped up now. I won't go into great detail, but that's affecting her attitude. And writer Carla Pacheco has one of the characters say that as a result, she's currently in constant PMS mode. And I'm going to tell you this. I want her to stay in constant PMS mode, not just in her own book, but I want it to be written into every other book and every other situation that she's in, because I love this. <laughs> this is a straightforward adventure comic. It deals very well with the characterization of Jessica Drew as Spider-Woman, and it's interesting. It's good. It's good art. I gave it fours across the board. How about you, Albert? Unfortunately, I gave it straight twos. Oh. I don't I don't think it's any fault of the book. I think, in reality, it's just things beyond anyone's control, which was COVID and everything shutting down. Yeah. It's straight twos with an asterisk. I did not care for this issue, but me personally, whatever momentum from issue one was there that I liked is no longer there. And it's not, it's no one's fault. It's not like I'm giving up on the book. I'm still going to keep reading the first arc just to see if I get back into it. Fair enough. Now, before we get Sandra all excited, let's go over to Jason Aaron and Javier Goron on Avengers number 34. Albert, for quite a while now, I've been saying, what the hell's going on with this book? <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. I don't think Jason Aaron's actually writing this. <laughs> oh, he's writing it. I, have you read it, Sandra? Well, I've read the Namer story. That was back in nine or ten, ten well, issues yeah. ago. Yeah. Okay. So, well, we've we've gotten we've evolved since then. It was in number thirty or thirty-two or something like that. So it was not that far back. I'm tired of the rotation of the most powerful superhero of the month titles. Moon Knight is just simply not capable of what he's pulled off in these last two issues. Yeah. And what's more to me is it bears a striking similarity to Thanos the End by Jim Starlin, except it's simply not as good. The best part of the book was the Iron Man Captain Marvel back and forth in the last two pages, but that's not enough to justify the rest. And Albert, I think I'm with you. I'm tired of the Starbrand bullcrap. I'm done with Starbrand. I, I don't care where it's going at this point. I gave the writing a two, the art a two, the dynamic a one. I gave the score a 1.7. And I may, we may not be, depending on you, we may not be revisiting the Avengers until we can report a change. Despite it being Avengers, it's not really the, the main Avengers book. Empire's the main Avengers book. So this is yeah. just Jason Aaron writing whatever. Well, I mean, uh, last, last story art, Ghost Rider's the most powerful. Yeah. Uh, the story arc before that, Black Widow is the most powerful because she's got an Iron Man suit. I don't like this. 
anybody picking this up because they see Moon Knight is going to have a Disney Plus series, this is not a proper introduction to Moon Knight. I have to give him credit for this. He's just trying to make a big, fun superhero team book. The ideas are there, and the dialogue's not bad, but he don't quite bring it. It it, it, ne- it never click. It doesn't ever click with me. Everything seems to be just slightly off sync. Finishes a storyline, does he? Not to a I traditional mean, conclusion in Avengers. What issue of Avengers is this? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. I have been waiting since issue nine for him to finish up with whatever he's going to be doing with Namor. That's like twenty-five issues, and. <laughs> What the heck? Oh, those horrible retconned prehistoric Avengers. That hasn't been finished either, has it? No, no. We have no idea what's going on So with that. that's the thing. It's like he keeps jumping around from one of these things. And there's a lot of things dangling here. I have a real problem with the Moon Knight situation. I have a real problem. There's a couple of scenes in here directly from Thanos the End. Did you not catch that, Albert? You Am I wrong? I've read Thanos the End one time. In my... where, where he reformed the entire yeah, Earth into the Egyptian motif and Spider-Man was being persecuted by his followers and Thanos the End is a good book. Oh yeah, that's right because the bad guy was some type of Egyptian Yeah, he was the Fantastic Four time traveler. That's what, yeah. Yeah. That only ended up being the first two issues of Thanos the End. The rest of the book was about God having laid a trap for Thanos. Yeah, I'd, I'd pass on Avengers 34. I like Aaron. I like Aaron a lot. I'm just not liking his Avengers a lot. Let's make Sandra happy. Giant size. Yes, 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 yes. Didn't let's, didn't let's make her upset with the score. Yeah. What? Giant size X-Men Magneto. Writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Ramon Perez. Sandra, you go first. It has been so long since I've actually read a comic that had Namor in it. In fact, it was probably that Avengers issue, 30-something or the other. Immortal Hulk. That was like some weird cameo. There's that Marvel's one shot. Oh, yes, you're right, the Submariner. Well, but I think that came out about the same time the uh, the Avengers book. But anyway, it's been months and months and months. That was exciting. I, yeah, I know it's a Magneto book, but in case you didn't know, Namor has a major guest star role in this. So I was very happy about that. But other than that, I'm going to say I think Hickman has kind of failed me on this one. But it was a Magneto book, and I guess if you like Magneto, which I do like Magneto, it it was okay. But it was a kind of weird book. Not what I expected at all. I didn't think Hickman actually got anybody exactly right in this book, character-wise. I'm not talking about just Namor. I'm talking about like Magneto and Emma, because Emma's in it, too. And to me, it was like, why are we going through all of this rigmarole when all Emma has to do is pick up the phone and say, Namor, I want that island. And Namor would say, sure, baby, and give it to her. Namor doesn't have a phone. Do you remember how Emma contacted him last time? Did she pick a fish up, talk to it, throw it back in the ocean? (laughs) No, she did not. She telepathically contacted Namor. Does he have a conch shell? Of course he has a conch shell. Here, here, Flounder. Do you remember remember that that Civil War book where (laughs) where his super secret hidden cells on the surface world would contact him by putting their face in a bowl full of jellyfish? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I forgot about that. I would yeah. love to have seen Emma stick her face in a bowl of jellyfish. 
I'm not exactly <laughs> sure why she had Magni. I was thinking, did I miss something here? Did her Namor fall out somewhere? I don't understand how Magneto could put that house together. It's it's metal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but what about plumbing and electricity? Does he master plumbing? But but does Magneto. he know how to route all that stuff? Magneto, uh, yeah, Magneto, it's been proven in the past, Magneto is somewhat of an engineer. He's not Stark level. I guess. I guess it's like a really expensive Lego set or something in boxes. God. Let me save everybody $5. Magneto secures an island for Emma, builds her a fortress on it for reasons yet to be disclosed. Also, Submariner is there. I thought now, wait was... a minute. That's, that's kind of shorting the book here. There's I, a Kraken. Yeah, I mean, what? It's and, some old and... sea witch. But the deal was, is when they came up on that giant crest, there was a damn kraken sculpted into the metal door seal. What did they think they were going to find behind it? Namor did have that good line of, it's a kraken. Of course, it's always a kraken. Yeah. You know, that could have been a case of miscommunication between the writer and the artist. I was like, why is Magneto here? Because you know what? Namor doesn't need Magneto to go down... And rip off a big metal seal off of something. He just wanted Magneto to go with him since it, this was convenient. He wanted to know if being underwater affected powers any. What? Yeah, so he could affected beat the hell Magneto's out of powers. So affected. he could beat the hell out of them later. Yeah, Namor wanted to know if Magneto's powers were affected by being underwater. I could buy that, Albert. Well, the other thing is it didn't make any sense that Magneto is free diving down the, to the depths of the Marianas Trench when you throw metal down there and it gets crushed like a little paper cup. Uh, okay, you, you just... No, defeat, he, this is this is Magneto. He controls the magnetic waves. That's yeah. exactly what makes that able to crush. Magneto's not going to be hurt by that. Well, apparently I, nobody is going to be hurt by that since you have everybody and their uncle going down there with a little oxygen face mask don't get me started on that don't get me started on that i none of this made sense to me as far as why are any of these people doing this because again like i said all emma had to do was call up namer and say i want that island and he would have given it to her i'm with you i'm with you on that albert makes the most sense to me that uh submariner was testing magneto well why is magneto even going through all that mess I, I don't know that there's an excuse because, because Emma asked him to. Emma asked him to. You're, you're. They're playing politics with each other on the Grand Council, the ones that have a seat at the table, and they're cooperating with one another. Magneto appreciates being social. Emma appreciates being social. And even Submariner and Magneto cooperated together. They shook hands. They didn't have to shake hands. That could have left us with the feeling that it was more contentious than it was. But they went out of the way to show Submariner and Magneto shake hands with each other and then get to it. Overall, these giant size X-Men, I liked the first one. But going back and looking at them all again, these would be better served as being backup stories in the regular X-Men book or in some of the other X-Books, and they could charge more for those particular issues than they are single standalones. I'm not really sure where we're going overall here because there was, unless this was just to show what Albert said, Submariner testing Magneto's abilities underwater. I agree with Sandra. There was no real need for this issue. The writing was a three. The art was a three. The dynamic, I gave a two. My score was 2.7. Sandra, what about yours? The art was inconsistent to me and I was severely disappointed because the guy that did the cover 
that did that gorgeous cover was supposed to do the interiors. Something happened and he ended up not doing the interiors, which I would have loved to see. I'm thinking maybe this guy was a little rushed and that's why it didn't look consistent because sometimes the faces look like they were melting and other times the faces were fine there were some nice exterior shots and then there was other parts that was like very photoshopped kind of thing i hate to be that unfair with it but you know what if you don't draw a pretty namer it really takes points off in my book and if you don't draw a pretty magneto that takes even more points off on my book i guess three is being generous but i would go with maybe 2, 2.5 on the art. Man, Hickman should have had a grand old time with these three guys. Yeah. Their snarkiness in there, and that didn't happen. As a Submariner fan, we're so desperate. We're out in the desert. We have to run out there and buy it. That's right. You and the other two Submariner fans, you have to go. There's at least a dozen of us. (laughs) I'm a Submariner fan. I'm a Submariner fan. Well, I gave it straight twos. I think the books served two purposes. We'll say three. Uh, the first purpose was to give Emma her house off the island. Right. Yeah. So that that's the main thing. So she can run her operations from there. And it's also understandable based on what Emma does that Professor X would be like, hey, you need to do all this stuff, but I don't want you running it from the island because I don't want it to get back to us. You need to take care of that someplace else. It also allows Hickman to establish Namor and Emma's relationship through this run. And we need be Namor and Magneto's relationship and how Namor talks to Magneto. So, Albert, what was your overall score? Uh, straight twos. Straight twos? Okay. Yeah. Unless you're just supporting Submariner, you can probably skip this book. I want more from these than we're getting. $5 a pop, we should get more, don't you think? I mean, in reality, yeah. this, is, this issue could have been handled like in two panels in the comic you would have took Namor out of it, like it's two panels. It's just like, Emma's got a house, Magneto built it on this island for... Rather than take Namor out of it, if you just had Emma stick her face into a bowl of jellyfish. Empire number one. It's here. The long, long, long awaited event that nobody has actually been waiting on. Writer Ewing and Slot. Artist Pepe Larraz. It's every bit as bland as I thought it could be. And when you get to the halfway point, you see the twist coming, and it's just as boring and droll as the rest of this book and causes you to wonder, why are we having this event? I thought the Avengers acted far too carefree, given their experience and the lineup. It feels off, it doesn't quite deliver, and the art... The art adds to the off-putting feeling. Sandra, you complained last week about something was not quite right with the size of the thing's head. Mm -hmm. Something was not quite right with every bit of the thing in this issue. Mm -hmm. And and then the rest of it just kind of felt, eh, to me. I don't even know why we're having this. I don't even see the potential for a movie tie-in situation. We sing Ewing's praises constantly. And sometimes we like slot, but not often lately. (laughs) The whole thing fizzled with me. I was expecting mediocre. Yeah, I felt as though we were delivered a little less than mediocre. Well, the, the story could be good, but that, uh, what's that character's name? It's sort of a Mayan Aztec. Let's thing. call him King Fern. Well, yeah, that character, <laughs> that's a terrible character. It really is. I, like I, I the second that person showed up, based on how a million comic book stories have gone beforehand, you knew that was the bad guy. Like him attacking everybody wasn't that big of a thing because it was very obvious that's what was going to happen. You quickly learn by the interaction, let's say five pages in, I'm not going to go back and do an actual count, five pages in, the actual interaction between the Kree, Scroll, 
Hulkling and the Fantastic Four right there. You automatically know what's coming. Yeah. You can clearly see that they are not headed to invade Earth. Meh. I gave the writing a two, the art a two, the dynamic a one. My score was 1.7. Sandra, did you read this? You were in the middle of it. Yes, I did read it. I read that in the Fantastic Four. Oh, okay, good. What'd you think of this? Like y'all, I thought it was predictable that the plant people were obviously going to be not vegetarian, so to speak. Well, that would make them cannibals, wouldn't it? Well, anyway, that they were not going to be nice. I thought a lot of characters were out of character. Tony Stark, why was Tony so gung-ho about these guys? Is he smelling the flowers? Reed, Tony, Black Panther, they all made some really stupid decisions. Given the team of Avengers that was there, Carol, it's Cap, it's Thor, it's Tony, She-Hulk, the one good thing about it is that She-Hulk can now form full and complete sentences again. Look, it's Richards. You're lucky if Richards figures anything out ever without Valeria pointing him in the right direction or (laughs) sue figured it all out so we're good yeah this just isn't measuring up this is something that we could have all done without albert what oh did you you've already said your bit didn't you well i did i don't remember talking oh that's right that's right no no like there's just nothing it is so bland that i don't even remember albert reviewing it (laughs) like it's just a comic it's there but it doesn't really seem to matter they cut this book down to nothing. They killed all them tie-ins and everything. Yeah, and rightfully so. I understand why now. Albert, what was your score on it? I was okay with the art. The art's a three, the dynamics a three, and the writing's a two. Okay, I gave the writing a two, the art a two, and the dynamic a one. I score 1.7. Sandra? I'll agree to that. I, again, maybe I'm just being picky about the art, but man, what is going on with Reed's face? We're complaining about Empire, but I'll tell you something. We haven't mentioned this because it's not really being hyped to the level it should be. But because Free Comic Book Day got sidetracked, there is no Free Comic Book Day due to the COVID situation. They've been having free comic books come out like once a week for the last few weeks and will continue to do so through the summer. Be aware of that. Be aware that, you know, ask your comic book shop what free comic book is out this week for free comic book summer is what they're calling it. What came out this week was the X-Men book. I didn't care anything about the Ten of Swords advertisement that the X-Men Free Comic Book Day book was. But in the back of it, there was a preview to a non-canon Marvel comic event coming up called Dark Ages. And as down as I've been on Empire from the moment it was first announced, upon seeing those few those first few pages of Dark Ages, I am all about this book. I want to see this book. Yeah, it's uh, by Tom Taylor, isn't it? Yes. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm actually psyched up about this event book that's out of canon. In other words, it's not going to be standard Marvel Universe history. And it looks really good. It's a, I don't want to say, oh, it's a completely new concept. But it is something that we have not seen happen before really? in Marvel comics. I, I, am I wrong? What about Game in 1602? That's not Dark Ages. This is a completely different thing. The, the setup is it's a typical day in a Marvel universe that contains the Avengers. Iron Man is with Pepper Potts. Looks closely like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Something's going on. 
Iron Man's in pursuit of something, but then his suit starts acting up. The buildings are shaking. Something's wrong. Pepper's in communication with him from Avengers Tower, and he tells her to get in the elevator, go to the sub-basement, and then all the power goes. All the power goes out everywhere. Iron Man manages to get one quick message off to Captain America before his suit goes completely out. Then you can see it anywhere. Iron Man hits an airplane wing. So he not only takes off the airplane, that hitting the airplane wing takes off one of his legs. That's not 1602. 1602 is just set in the Dark Ages. This is called the Dark Ages. And what it looks like is the Marvel Universe or Marvel's Earth loses power completely across the board. I, I didn't mean that it was a historical Dark Ages. I meant that it was an alternate universe event. Oh, no, they do those all the time. I'm just talking about the setup. Alternate reality event. And yeah, there's what if. There's always stories. Marvel Zombies, what if. Well, I guess uh, Marvel Zombies is yeah. like that. But I, I think what if is just one-off stories. This is, What if's not an event book. This is an event book. Yeah, I agree. I'm more excited about this in that it won't be all this hype about the Marvel Universe will never be the same again. I mean, they could actually make changes. They could, they could do things like yeah. cut off... Tony Stark's leg. It could be... This Why can't they cut off Tony Stark's leg now? What, I mean. well, well, they could, because while I was reading it, I thought it was an actual incontinuity event. And then at the end, it said it wasn't. But it's just like Thor's arm. That's going to... And his eye. That'll all come back. They're not going to leave Tony Stark with just one leg. This, this looks interesting to me, whereas the first preview for Empire did absolutely nothing for me and make me think, why, why, why... It could be okay. I don't On Dark Ages, you think it's just going to be okay? or Probably. I mean, it may turn out to be crap, but for some reason, this captures my attention and imagination where his empire struck me as, stop it. Just stop it, Marvel. Fear itself, we should have stopped right there. I mean, I love Secret Wars, but having an event book like that a, a year is just a bit too much. I think they should explore the alternate reality more, take more what-if uh, elseworld-type situations and explore it a bit more. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on that. Are y'all ready to discuss what was that movie y'all made me watch? <laughs> y'all made me watch it. The I Old Guard! There you go, The Old Guard. This is based on a comic book by one of Albert's favorite writers. <laughs> Yeah, Greg Rucker's Old Guard. Rucka. 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 Does it really matter? Did you see the movie, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do y'all think of, I keep wanting to say Sharon Stone, but Charlize Theron. What do y'all think of Charlize Theron in The Old Guard? I liked her in it. Got a good plot. It's got pretty low quality direction and production quality. Hmm. Those action scenes are horrible. Really? It's all shaky cam and, and fast edits. I don't like it. I did not get that shaky cam thing, which I don't like. I mean, when I watched one of the Bourne movies, I thought, I can't believe I paid this money for this headache. I thought the fight scenes looked pretty athletic. I didn't care for them. Okay. I can see maybe a little bit about what you were talking about production values, but I mean, they were all out in the desert, mostly. No, they were in France, too, weren't they? <laughs> Or a soundstage that looked like France. Like, yeah, yeah, right. 
I enjoyed it for what it was. I liked it, but I'm not saying I didn't like it. Yeah. I did like it, but it lacked in a lot of things. I think it was kind of interesting. As I was watching it, I was thinking, man, we should have done this with the Highlander movies because it was, instead of there can only be one, apparently there can only be four. Of course, the, the premise of the old guard is that there's not a race of immortals, but there are people that are immortal and heal up fast. There's four of them. And as far as we know of, there was only four at one given time. But or roughly, no, there's there's five of them. Yeah, there's an extra one. Yeah, that's the ending that they know of. There was no Ramirez here to lay out the rules of this. Right. I forgot most of this movie before the credits rolled. Oh, wow. Okay. I take back every bad thing I said about the first Highlander. (laughs) That was a masterpiece in comparison to the old guard. Wow. Yeah. The old guard created one of the greatest sins in movies ever. It's forgettable. To me, that's, that's more of a sin than being a bad movie. If you're a bad movie, I remember you and I can derive some entertainment from the fact that you're a bad movie. I can't even do riffs off Old Guard due to its blandness. Charlize Theron is there and I, I, I think she's great. I don't know what happened after she was on Arrested Development. I don't know what sucked all the joy out of her life that she is playing miserable individuals ever since then. I would love to see Charlize Theron happy on screen again sometime before I die. This movie is just not just the direction and the the coloration on it. It was almost designed to fit in with the eggshell paint on the wall behind the TV. It was just about, I told you, it's it's the direction and, you know, and the production. You're right. You're right. I agree. It was in the desert. What color did you want it to be? Ah, but it was also in Paris. (laughs) A town near Paris. A town near Paris, not in Paris. (laughs) Half of the Star Wars movies takes place on desert planets, and they stand out. And this does, this just. I think you mean California. No, they go to Tunisia, pal. Yeah, let's remember Star Wars' budget is probably substantially larger than the budget for the old guard. There are a lot of these made for Netflix and made for Disney Plus movies with a smaller budget than the old guard that come out really, really well. After this podcast, after I'm done editing this podcast, I will not remember anything about the old guard. That's the worst offense a movie can commit, is not being able to stand out. The old guard to me will be some, somebody saw Highlander and thought for 15 minutes that they had a better take on it, wrote the first three pages, lost interest in it, got a Netflix deal, and wrote 20 more pages to fill out 90 minutes. I just did not like this. Wasn't this based on a comic? Yeah, Greg Rucka's comic. I was about to say, I mean, that, so. See, I forgot about the comic book, too. How how close is it to the comic? Do you remember? A lot of Greg Rucka stuff bores me to tears. Okay. It's just a poor man, Ted Brubaker. So I just don't read Rucka instead. I just read Ed Brubaker. I'm glad to learn that it wasn't Ed Brubaker. I'm glad to learn that I had temporarily confused the two of them. Because it would hurt me to think that Ed Brubaker did that. I guess I'll have to watch it again. I, Like I said, I enjoyed it for what it was. It did 
strike me as a little bit derivative of let me pull from here, let me pull from here. And of course, the Highlander, I think it was trying to shoot for what would be like the psychological effect of actually having to live forever when everybody else around you is dying. But it didn't quite hit that. The actors didn't quite pull that off. If I Um, was immortal and became that nonchalant about my immortality, I would walk into a volcano. (laughs) Have y'all ever seen The Man from Earth? The Bowie movie? The Man Who Fell to Earth? No. No, not The Man Who Fell to Earth. The Man from Earth. Y'all have never seen that? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. It's a movie. And it takes place in one room. And everybody in this movie you recognize because they've been in everything else. You know their names, but you don't know their names. You want to take on Immortality? That is the movie to watch. As a matter of fact, I think we should watch it next week. It's readily available everywhere. It came out in 2007. It's one hour and 30 minutes. Stars David Lee Smith. It's got Tony Todd, John Billingsley, Ellen Crawford, William Catt in it. Let's watch that next week. Next week, we're going to watch The William Catt. We'll compare and contrast the two movies. Sure. Does that sound good, Sandra? You mean compare it to The Old Guard? Yes. Concerning, Concerning takes on immortality, as boring and bland as I find The Old Guard, considering that they never leave one room in this film, we'll we'll see what y'all think is better, okay? I will say this about The Old Guard. I like Charlize Theron as a... I do too. No, I mean as as an action star, as a female action star. I'm trying to think who we have that's a female action star that's comparable. She did the Mad Max Furiosa character. She did Atomic Blonde, and now she's done this. And, of course, she did Aeon Flux, which... I am not complaining about her being an action star. I like the majority of her work. I just saw her in this, and who who sucked the life out of her? I don't know. I don't care too much for her as an action star. And I'll give you... Okay, I'll give you somebody that's comparable, but you wouldn't automatically think of her. Two people that's comparable. One is Amelia Clark, uh, so far as female action star leads. And the other one... Amelia Clark? I was going to say, Amelia Clark? What are you you on? And the other one is Margot Robbie. Not only has she been in Game of Thrones, she was Sarah Connor in Terminator Genesis. And it was Uh, a terrible movie. And Solo... Did she do any action? Solo? Yeah, Yeah, Terminator Genesis. very bad. Solo? She was not an action star in that movie. She was in Solo. Not I really. Just, no. I've got her playing on the screen in the background, and she just Oop. took out three pike. Did she shoot them? No, she beat them up. And she saved Solo's butt at the end of it through hand-to-hand combat. Not an action star. Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, maybe, but I mean, think the only action movie is, is Harley Quinn, isn't it? You can say Suicide Squad. You can say Birds of Prey. The Wolf of Wall Street. A lot of action in that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you are like... I don't know what's wrong. She's got Marion coming up. That's an action movie. Gotham City Sirens also. Dang, the movie with Will Smith. I keep forget Focus. I, Tanya. Now, that I, Tanya is not an action movie, but there is a hell of a lot of physicality in it, and she she handles it very well. Mary Queen of Scots. Nobody can forget when Mary Queen of Scots invaded um, Ireland <laughs> by herself. <laughs> oh, the Legend of Tarzan. She was good in that. There's the equivalent, and I'm not comparing and contrasting. I like Charlize Theron as an action star. 
But, I mean, there's a few female action stars out there. Very few female action stars out there for some reason. Anyway, I'm just going to say I enjoyed seeing her kick ass. I don't think she's an action star, so. I enjoyed seeing Charlize Theron kicking ass. And I I wish that The Old Guard had been a movie where Charlize Theron kicked ass. Okay, well, you know what? We can talk about this next week, and I will read the comics so that I know where this is coming from. And watch The Man from Earth, and we'll compare and compare. And we'll watch The Man from Earth. Okay, so we're going to wrap up this week. Those of you playing the home version of Kingdom Cast, we will be watching The Man from Earth. Not the man who fell to Earth, but the man from Earth and comparing and contrasting it to the other movies about immortals next week. Albert, you got anything? Nothing I've done. Hey, Sandra. Yes. Did you go to see Fast Times at uh, Ridgemont High in the theater? No, I didn't. You did not? No. When when did you see it? I'm sure I saw it on... uh... I'm sure I saw Fast Times on cable. I was going to say Phoebe Cates is 57 years old today. Holy cow. Holy cow, nothing. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, I would have been I would have been too young to get in to see it. It was rated R. It came out yeah. in nineteen eighty two. Uh Albert, I know you've you've probably seen it on what, through HBO or something? Uh TBS probably. I don't know. Mm-hmm. TBS. <laughs> the Beastmaster Station, TBS. Yeah, okay. No, I just found that interesting. Phoebe Cates, fifty seven years old today. Wow. You're yep. getting old. I, I know. Tell me about it. So that wraps it up this week. This has been Kingdom Casts. You can reach us on KingdomCasts at gmail.com or KingdomComics at gmail.com. KingdomCasts, that's C-A-S-T-S, on Facebook and Twitter, as well as Kingdom Comics. Uh, guys, we got to thank you. The, uh, the last episode, especially our listeners in Georgia and in particular in Atlanta, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm wondering how many of you actually know each other. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of you in Atlanta. Atlanta continues to top out at number one for us, and we greatly appreciate it. But that doesn't mean we don't appreciate the listeners in California, Colorado, and, of course, the listeners here in Alabama who put up with my Sabin jokes. We appreciate even more because of it. <laughs> so, so does that, does that um, mean we're going to have some Tommy Tuberville jokes? Oh, I don't even want to get into that. I cannot <laughs> believe I cannot believe that a football coach qualifies you in the eyes of state. Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. Let's let's jump right back to it. God bless you, Alabama listeners. <laughs> a special shout out to the one individual in Germany that just will not give up on it. Best ratings for any one episode in uh, less than a week ever and thank you thank you thank you please continue to let us hear from you send us emails send us messages over facebook twitter whatever whatever works out best for you uh let us know what you like what you don't like what you'd like to hear in the future because we do take you seriously we do have discussions about this again thank you so very 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 much and we'll be back and so y'all don't have anything else of any interest to throw out there to them do you no you don't have to find anything we've there's going to be a lot of editing on this. And a oh, lot yeah. Of Please. Up and go- <laughs> so, Please. Well, Sandra, Albert, thank you both, and tell them good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, 
Tim Bryan, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. Exegol.